We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I am your host, Alex Golden. I'm joined today by the one and only Michael Jamal Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Hey, love me some Jamal Tinsley back in the day, but man, I love these Indiana Pacers right now because the boys are hot right now. Winners of 8 of 10, defending home court, 6 straight wins. Alex, I know we're going to get into the Hornets game later on, but... We figured we'd switch it up a little bit because we have some other news regarding the team. Absolutely. So I think first and foremost, let's talk about James Johnson and O'Shea said Their contracts have become fully guaranteed after passing the date that was the non-guaranteed date. So congratulations to them for gaining a fully guaranteed contract. They'll be with the, the Pacers for the rest of the season. Or if they're traded, their contract is at least fully guaranteed. So that is a big kudos to them. But Anything else on those two that you want to bring up before we move on to the next part of the, the news? Yeah, look, one, I always wanted O'Shea's contract to be guaranteed early on. If anything, I, before the year, I wanted him to get extended. That's that's how much I felt like he had earned the right to have his deal at least guaranteed, not looking over his shoulder. James Johnson, if you remember, one of the, the last guys added to training camp over there. I did not expect it to get to this point, but James Johnson has been – praised as such a good veteran leader for this Pacers group that I, I didn't think he'd last the season, you know, coming into the year when he made the final roster spot. But now it feels like if the Pacers had not guaranteed his deal and maybe waived him, it would or could disrupt that locker room. So I love everything that he's brought to the table right now. Both guys 100% earned those guarantees. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree about O'Shea because we were both talking about like, 
what is his number for an extension? And like, I remember I was like, I think super high on mine. And you were like, well, I'm not that high on it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we both were really just like, this guy has to be extended, right? And like, it didn't happen. So we were both a little bit shocked. And then when we heard the news that James Johnson was going to be brought onto the roster and then Langston Galloway came, we're like, really? Is Langston Galloway going to take away James Johnson's spot? Like me and you both never felt like, uh, you know, Langston was going to be the guy to get the the nod for the veteran presence just because, one, James Johnson's been around the block, a little bit more of a tougher guy, knows a little bit more, seen a little bit more, but different position. And I think that's a big thing, too, just because, you know, he can play power forward. He can play center, small ball split center at times. He can play small forward if they really needed him to. But, you know, Langston was a pure guard, and the Pacers roster is already loaded with guards. But I'll say this, and it's probably not any kind of hot take, but don't be surprised if James Johnson – gets a multi-year deal with this team after the season's over because of what he's meant to this franchise. That'd be interesting. And we have talked for so long and they were looking for veteran leadership and they just, they couldn't find it. So a guy like James Johnson, who's been the ultimate pro does not need to, you know, doesn't require really any minutes at all. And everybody is talking about the impact he's made on the team. So that says a lot. And you don't want to disrupt that because these young guys are clearly learning a lot and at this point when the Pacers came in the season one of the youngest teams in the league you needed a little bit of someone who had been around the block and James Johnson is that guy yeah for sure and I think you know James is just tough as nails and you can just tell by how many guys talk about him they love him Fachi he's like that uncle that everybody wants to see at Christmas right (laughs) it's just like oh he gives the best presents and uh, I, I love when Jalen Smith said he's the best dresser on the team. He's the OG. You know, they just pay their respects. And, you know, Jalen Smith is almost like a coach. He's kind of like our Udonis has him, which we've talked about before. But it's great to see it. And I think the Pacers team desperately needed it. And I think he's been a huge part of what they've done to kind of keep them where they're at. Like you said, we're at the halfway mark, 23 and 18. I don't think anybody on planet Earth expected the Pacers to be where they're at now. But uh, one more piece of news here, Fachi. Mark Stein, uh, from his own Substack, reported that Miles Turner, to this point, has rebuffed Indiana's contract extension offers. League sources says ditto for Jordan Clarkson and Utah, where sources say the Jazz came into the season hopeful of securing a new long-term deal with Clarkson before he became uh, before he comes a free agent this summer. There are teams out there naturally hoping that Turner or Clarkson will be in play for trades before the deadline. I don't see the Jazz trading Clarkson. This is per Stein. Turner's situation continues to be harder to read. This is pretty interesting, Fachi, because just a week ago, we hear Sham Sharania saying that the Pacers and the the front office have begun contract negotiations. We know that the trade deadline is approaching in about a month. A lot of people have said, well, how did this stuff get out? Got to remember, Mark Stein, based in Dallas, Miles Turner, based from Dallas. So, I think that Stein has a pretty good pulse on what's going on. And I think at this point, it's a lot of it has to come down to money, in my opinion, and maybe what Miles wants long-term. Things are going to get very interesting because, yes, the Pacers do have a little bit of leverage in terms of they can offer him $19 million more this year. And I know they said the Pacers have until about March 1st. It's the deadline to come to an extension. However, Alex, by the time people are listening to this, NBA trade deadline is exactly one month from when you were listening to this. On February 9th is the NBA trade deadline. So time is ticking. And for a guy like Turner, who's playing the best basketball of his career, I'm sure he knows 
He's going to have suitors, and this could be his best chance to cash in. And for a guy that has not hit open, you know, free agency before, I mean, it's it's a very very big decision. And I I just don't feel great about the Pacers getting a deal done early, especially we'll talk about how Turner played tonight against the Hornets. So with the the more and more that he produces, the harder it is for me to imagine that the Pacers are able to come to an early extension. But where are you at on this right now? Yeah, I was talking with some friends over the weekend about it because it's just like, you know, when the news dropped, everybody was excited. And so I pulled up this article from our good friend Tony East, and I, I kind of pulled some of the things that he said out here. But basically, I'm going to read a paragraph of what he said in his article. It said the Pacers could legally upturn our salary as far as his maximum, just over $37 million, though it can be increased by any amount so long as the Pacers are still under the salary cap after the renegotiation. So, for example, if Turner's salary this season was bumped up to $36 million, then his salary could drop as low to as $21.6 million in 23-24. And so I basically said, so if you basically add the $82 million bonus this season plus the 86.4, which would be $21.6 million per year over the next four years, he would make, on average, $104.4 million over the next four seasons, which would equal out to be $26.1 million per year. And from what we've kind of both heard, Fachi, is it looks like he wants more than $25 million. And this is where you have to really think long and hard about this because I completely understand that the salary cap is going to go up. But Miles Turner, as awesome as he's been this season, he plays a position of need that's not the most pivotal in today's NBA, playing the center position. I think the regular season success and him being a contract year does weigh a lot, but I think there's got to be a number where you stop because you got to think long-term about this. Is Miles Turner being paid the second highest on your roster once Tyrese Halliburton is maxed? Is that the way to win a championship? And I don't necessarily know if that is or not. You know, you, you can fill around the edges there with your rookie contract deals right now, but eventually Matherin's going to have to get paid and, and you know, and Halliburton's about to get paid soon. And then Turner's going to be on his long deal I just don't know if I love that. I think I would stop as much as it hurts me to say that, but $25 million is the max I can get for Turner per year. I just think if he's asking for more than that, then I just let him see if he can go out there and find it in free agency because it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Turner picked the perfect year to stay healthy and produce. He really did because, oh, man, I mean, I think coming into the year, a lot of people wouldn't have felt too comfortable paying him above $25 million a year. He's really fit this team this year. He's saying all the right things that they're winning. I mean, it makes it it makes it such a tough decision, but it's just like we only have about a month to really feel good about the decision you're going to make because I'm going to be honest right now. If the Pacers can't come to a deal by the deadline with Turner, I don't feel good about it at all. I do not. Once free agency starts. There's nothing promised, and I know other teams will be coming after him. There are some other teams that that have a lot of cap space as well. I know. I mean, there's there's the Spurs. There's plenty of others. But man, this is a really tough decision. I'm with you. Twenty five million dollars per year. It's about a seven million dollar increase per year on what he's making right now. To me, feels good as you're just trying to. Protect yourself for the future because you know, look, Halliburton has earned every penny on the max. But if you're the Pacers, you got maybe one other max deal that you can offer. 
If you give it a Turner, it, it's hard for this Pacers team to continuously get better. No doubt he has earned a pay raise. But, man, once you start talking about, you know, upwards of $25 million per year, it, it gets a little scary for a guy who's finally staying healthy. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, Miles playing the best basketball of his career, and I've had people, you know, push back and say, are we sure it's not just him in a contract year, knowing he's paying for money? And, look, I mean, that has always been something that's part of it. But even Miles said tonight, you got a lot of unselfish guys in there, and I think Miles has become less selfish, right? But I think at the end of the day, he's got to negotiate like he's out there trying to, you know, figure out the best plan for him. And I and I put this tweet out on on, on Twitter, Fachi, because I was – just just thinking out loud, basically, about the whole situation. It's like, Miles has been here for eight years, and we have not made it out of the playoffs one time. I understand this has been a fun year. I understand this is a really exciting young group. But do you see them getting out of the first round this year? I, I think a lot of people would say probably not. And yeah. even in maybe a year or two, you're, you're looking at maybe, maybe one playoff win in, in the series. Miles likes it here. Yes, we know that. But if Miles can test free agency and maybe join a team that looks like they have a better chance to make a deep playoff run, don't you think he'd rather look at that option before upping with the Pacers and locking himself uh, locking himself in long-term? So that's kind of where I think about it. It's just like, not that he doesn't want to come back to the Pacers, but more so that he just wants to keep his options open. It'd be like basically saying, okay, you can stay with this awesome girlfriend you have, or you can wait three months, not commit to her, but you know, still date her, just not commit to her long term, and then see what else is out there. Maybe you'll find someone more attractive that you like or someone that fits your personality better. I'm just saying there's a different way to look at it, and I don't think it's just like, well, he has to resign because we can give him the most money. It's like, no, I think he's got to figure out the best basketball fit for him. And if it's here, I would love to see it because he's been playing awesome, but I don't blame him for you know demanding a certain amount of money to resign because he wants that optionality the same that the Pacers want with their with their uh, entire roster and their money moving forward. He is in a spot that his value has never been higher. And if he remains healthy and he continues to play the way that he's playing right now, he will cash in. He'll have suitors. He'll have big offers out there. And and I just to your point. I do not blame him for saying, you know what, why limit myself and sign early when, you know, we could ride this out and who knows, maybe he ends up playing even better. And then he enters into a, a category or, a, you know, a, a pay area that we could have never anticipated. Who knows? But Turner is betting on himself. And that's really when you're in the, the NBA you're not afraid to do that to say, hey, I'm really talented and I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to bet on myself. And the Pacers offer, it should, at least he thinks, should still be there in the offseason. But options does, it, it never hurts you. And I know Pacer fans don't want to hear that. We, A lot of us would love to you know, get this deal done early. But for Turner, it, it doesn't make that much sense to get the deal early when teams have more cap space this year than they did last year. And, you know, I do think he's going to have a pretty healthy market. Yeah, I mean, the only pushback on that, I guess you could say, is what if he gets hurt before It could happen, and March. I hope it doesn't. Yeah, I, right. hope, I really hope it doesn't. But that's that's the risk that any player runs. I mean, we've we, uh, we've heard of things, Dennis Schroeder fumbling the bag. We, we've heard of Nerlens Noel in the past. But 
Turner is someone that is more proven than those guys. And, and I think that, you know, barring any injury, he's heading towards a very healthy payday. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that we would probably say is not the norm for Turner after making some, you know, after these reports came out, having a big game following that up. A lot of times we've seen throughout Turner's career after news comes out about him, it's really big. It's not been followed up by a big game. Now we did see one last season against the Knicks in December after, you know, he kind of came out to the athletic and then he played the Knicks the next game and he had a pretty big game and he addressed everything. Now, I don't know if he addressed any of these comments that came out from Mark Stein, but he did say at the beginning of the year he was not going to be talking about it. But, Fachi, let's transition now and talk about these two awesome wins. We'll work in inverse order because this game is the most relevant. The 116-111 victory over the Charlotte Hornets, who are 11-30. and You know, this is a team that's got some decent players on it. They're starting to slowly get healthy. Still no Gordon Hayward. But, you know, the Pacers had, had some struggles with this Hornets team, but they were ultimately able to pull it out. You were able to watch the whole thing, so talk to me about it. Oh, man, Alex, I know it's just the Hornets, the lowly Hornets. <laughs> but this was a, a quality win in the aspect that the Pacers were down nine in the fourth quarter. Things weren't really going great, but they hung in there. They really did. And you had guys like Benedict Matherin who started the game 0 for 8 from the field. I mean, mm. Buddy Heald really struggling over here. But it was Turner. It was Turner who was the player of the game. He In the fourth quarter alone, he made countless massive plays from buzzer beaters to three-pointers to three-point plays to hitting free throws, and he topped off the 29-point, nine-rebound, four-block performance with an absurdly crucial block on Mason Plumley in a three-point game with 13 seconds to play. It was a block worthy enough of getting a smothered chicken from Quinn Buckner. I mean, it was that <laughs> kind of block, and it helped close the, the Hornets out right over there. Neesmith goes to the line, hits a bunch of free throws over there, and the Pacers end up walking away with the win. Their sixth straight win at home, and it just feels like something's brewing over here. Yeah, this team feels special. I mean, you know, I wasn't able to watch this game in totality. I got to see a little bit of it here and there. But, yeah, I mean, I, I was like, I'm not going to sit here and overanalyze this, but just looking at a box score, sometimes box scores can't tell you numbers. The bench looked awful, just cool. got awful. And the starters, aside from Buddy's inefficient shooting, looked really well shooting the basketball. Tyrese Halliburton, casual 16 to 13. Nimhard, 19 points on four or five deep from deep. You know, Aaron Neesmith, five of seven for 15 points. Like you said, Turner and his awesome game. Even Buddy Hill, seven to 21, like it's a lot of shots, but ended up scoring 21 points on 21 shots. Uh, was able to get the three ball in there when he needed it. You know, the bench really just struggled. O'Shaber said probably the best bench player in this game, getting 10 rebounds off the bench, leading the team in rebounds, actually. So, you know, this is a team like the Hornets. You just try to figure them out. But I, I think one thing that really helped them out, Vachi, was LaMelo Ball getting into early foul trouble and then, and then eventually fouling out of the game and just playing 25 minutes in this one. Oh, man, three fouls in the first quarter. LaMelo was, was facing foul trouble all game. But one of the – a real big swing in this game was that LaMelo Ball ends up uh, going to take a three-pointer and Buddy blocks him. But the way LaMelo stuck his leg out, he picked up his sixth foul. So not only – and then the game's tied at 107 <laughs> apiece. So not only does he get blocked, he fouls out. But he goes to the line, hits a free throw. He goes one of two. But the Pacers never trailed again. And that 
instance right over there. That buddy block was just it was huge. And obviously Lamelo, he's he's the engine for that Hornets team. They were already without Gordon Hayward. They were already without Kelly Oubre Jr. So uh, it it was big that he was facing foul trouble all game. Man, I know you, you you talked about the 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 struggles of you know some guys like Matherin not not shooting well. He made his first and only basket in the fourth quarter. But buddy, despite his struggles, eight points in the fourth and that block when it mattered most, you got buddy. You got twelve points out of Turner in the fourth. Mm. And Halliburton, you talked about the sixteen and thirteen assists, just one turnover. I mean, this guy is like a magician out there. And and it just felt like every player was making little big plays that are not going to show up in the box a box score like um, O'Shea's ten rebounds they were hustle rebounds saving loose balls Nem Nemhard and, and Neesmith it feels like for Neesmith it feels like once a game he's making that gritty play now to save save a ball and he did it in this game that it was just seven points in the fourth quarter for uh, for Nemhard. Neesmith, just countless, you know, small plays that add up to to the bigger picture. And right over here, the Pacers, I'd say, stole one in this game because they trailed about a minute and 12 to go. And you would have never known it. Just look at the box score. But, man, this was a fight, and the Pacers came ready to finish the fight tonight. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you talk about Benedict Mather and going one of nine and not having a great game, and obviously – that's not a, a good game from Benedict Matherin, but you have to wonder, was that left shoulder bothering him at all? Because he was questionable before the game. Good point. Had it iced up after they beat the, the Blazers 108 to 99 on Friday night. And I think Greg Doyle even asked him, What's wrong with your shoulder? Why do you have ice on it? And he basically just played it off as like uh nothing really. And then you see a picture of him, I think Scott Agnes posted it where he was at practice on Saturday, and he was shooting one-handed with his entire shoulder iced up. Ooh, so, that's never good. So you just have to wonder if that's something that's going to be a long-term issue because previously, you know, before all this stuff, he'd been playing lights out the last five or six games. Specifically in the year 2023, he'd been really doing a good job of, you know, hitting shots at an efficient rate. Like if you look at the Blazers game, Flashy, 19 points on 6 of 10 shooting, when he had seven to seven free throws. That's the Matherin we're used to knowing. Not the one for nine guy that's, you know, not hitting shots. And I, I just hope that it's not a lingering item or lingering injury. We saw Jalen Smith return to this game. He did not play in the Blazers game. Isaiah Jackson got to play 14 minutes in this one after playing two games back to back with the G League. And he was five of six for 12 points because Miles got in early foul trouble in that game. So, you know, it's just like, this Pacers team, they are super fun. They're winning a lot of games, especially at home. They're they're just finding a way to gel together. And there's so many good players that it's hard to keep guys out of the rotation. But you said this before we got on air. You want to talk about one guy who's still continuing to struggle but still getting minutes. Oh, man. Chris Duarte, it, it, it's tough right now because here's the thing. I crunched some numbers, and the struggles are real right now. So – Duarte just played a, a couple of minutes tonight. I believe four it was about minutes. Four, four minutes. So his minutes have now gone down in each of the last few games. And over, over that span, he's – Alex, get ready for this. Since he's made his return, he's 14 of 58 from the field mm. for 24%. And yeah. right now, I mean, they had targeted him to be around – 
15 minutes a night, it feels like was the plan. We've seen those minutes shrink from uh, 16 minutes, then the next game 11, then 10. Now tonight, four, and it's not looking good for him. No, and I mean, Rick Carlisle even brought it up. He's like, you know, because I think in the Blazers game, he did kind of battle a few different times, but he just like was kind of out of control, trying to force stuff. He's just, he doesn't feel comfortable out there when you watch him. I didn't watch the four minutes that he played tonight. I didn't see that part of the game, but I'll just say this. Chris Duarte was a guy that I never envisioned being a long-term starter in the NBA when we drafted him. And then last year really impressed me, but we're looking across the league a lot of guys that had really good freshman breakout years are having sophomore slumps. So I, I will put it, I put put that on Chris a little bit. Yeah, he's probably going through a bit of a sophomore slump because you come into the league and you play as well as you did, as, like Chris Duarte did, you probably don't think you're going to have setbacks at all, like like you're having in your second year. But people get to know you better. You get other people in, you know included into your team. Other rookies are coming in, and you have to figure out how to mesh with everybody. And not to mention, he missed six weeks with an injury, Fachi. So for him mm-hmm. to like have to come back after six weeks of being injured to this team that's playing this well, it's tough. It'd be one thing if we were a team that had lost a bunch of games where we could play him 15, 20 minutes a night to really try to get him back in a, uh, in a groove or a rhythm. But no, right now, <laughs> he's there, he's playing for a team that's trying to compete. And at the end of the day, there's just too many guys ahead of him that are playing better than him. And he's just not going to see the court consistently. But I think, personally, the best way for him to get out of a slump is maybe to make some simpler re- or simpler plays for him to get him going a little bit early. Not trying to like make him force stuff where he's like driving to the basket or doing this. But they play such a like a free flowing offense they don't really call out a play. So I just feel like he's not really being utilized like he was last year, specifically with how many open looks he probably got off of dribble handoffs from Demontis Sabonis. Now he's playing more of a catch-and-shoot type of thing than catching off the dribble and shooting, which, you know, that might have been why they went after him last year when they when they had Sabonis because they thought the roster fit would make more sense. And now it feels like this is a guy that probably, which we've talked about a lot, isn't going to be here long-term. I'm getting really worried because I know you're talking about a sophomore slump. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. He's shooting sub-33% from the field on the mm, year. That's awful. On the year. 28% from three. I mean, you can make an argument when you're looking around at some of the other guys that were, you know, in, in the, the lottery as well from last year. Oof, they're taking their games forward. And maybe not everybody, but I, I'm getting really worried because he's already 25, turning 26 this year. And, man, you got, you got a guy like Benedict Matherman that obviously is overshadowing him. And I'm just worried long-term that what is the potential? And the Pacers did kind of, instead of trying to hit that home run, they did kind of go for that sure single. I'm not going to say they laid down a bunt when they drafted him, but, you know, they, they looked for more of how do I get on base instead of really trying to bring a run in. And I feel like, I know it's a lot of baseball cliches for a basketball podcast, but, man, I'm getting worried out here, Alex, <laughs> because – the trade value now, it, it's it's not there. No. You don't want to trade him just to trade him, but it's hard to let him get better on the fly because I really do fear that his minutes could be now coming down to maybe it's about 10 minutes a night. And that's really not a lot to get in a rhythm. So I, I'm kind of fearing the worst right now, but I, I know that he has time to to break out of this slump. There's still half the season to go. 
but he's also had some rough luck where, where, you know, last week he got elbowed in the head hard and he's rolled his ankles before. The the luck's got to swing his way at some point, and I'm hoping that point is coming up. Yeah, I mean, for just just put it in perspective. I mean, the Golden State Warriors have a pretty good track record of finding talent in the draft, and mm-hmm. they felt like Chris Duarte could be Clay Thompson 2.0. I did an entire podcast, an entire podcast about it in the offseason with my friends Carson and David, just looking at you know how players that have those type of numbers in their rookie year, you know, project for their careers and. You know, you're talking about some of the greats like Ray Allen and stuff like that. Now, I think points are a little bit different, so the scalability might have been one that, like, you need to pull back a little bit and just realize, like, okay, maybe we were, like, not fair on the scale because 13 points for Ray Allen back in 98 is probably not the same thing as 13 points, whatever, for Duarte in in 2021. But to be fair, I mean, a lot of players started off like Clay Thompson. All these guys were around the same. But one guy that kind of had a similar – uh, which we actually talked about a lot, had a similar game in terms of numbers was Shane Battier. And that's not somebody that to me ever really was like the number one guy, but yeah. a guy that could be more of a, of a role player, right? Mm-hmm. Especially the older he got in his career. And I think because Duarte is known for his shooting, he's going to last in the league probably longer than maybe he should if he continues to str- struggle like this. You know, I'm calling it a sophomore slump, but let's just say this happens for the next two or three years. This guy can't shoot, right? Kind of like uh, Coach Thorpe said about Aaron Neesmith before he started going off. But, <laughs> you know, at that point, he was right, though, because Neesmith hadn't been able to prove that he could shoot for three years. So maybe Duarte just needs a new change of scenery. And it might be best for him. I think that there's a lot of uh, wonder out there, for me anyway, if the Warriors would still have interest in him because we know that Joe Lacob slammed the table when the Pacers took Duarte before the Warriors at pick 13. So, Maybe they call and say, look, Moses Moody hasn't been playing great for you out there. Duarte's not been playing great for us here. Let's just do a swap. Or they figure something else out. Because I just I just feel like, like you said, the value seems super low for Duarte right now. He's not playing good. So you're going to have to find someone, like the Pacers, where that's someone for the Suns, finding a home for Jalen Smith. You're going to have to find someone that's going to invest in Duarte and still believes in what he can become and realizes that this might just be more of a crowded backcourt than it is just like this guy can't play basketball. It will be interesting now. Some minutes that could be available, we haven't heard. But in this game, TJ McConnell did exit with a shoulder injury, did not return, do not know what the update is over there. So this could be an opportunity for Duarte to get a a little bit more minutes. But there, there is not a whole lot of minutes to go around. I hope McConnell is able to, you know, have a speedy recovery. Curious to see if the Pacers do give him some rest as this would help Duarte out a bit, you know. Um, but, man, th- that's something that remains to be seen. And one thing I want to say, and I'm going to knock on wood when I say this, is outside of, of Duarte, the Pacers have remained relatively healthy this year, and that has been great to see. So I do hope McConnell is able to get back out there soon, but I got no problem giving him some rest when these games are not do or die at the 50% mark of the season. Yeah, no, I, that's a good point, Fachi. So we just got to hope we can stay healthy and hope McConnell's injury is not too long, be, you know, because not having a point guard will be a problem. Uh, you know, Andrew Nimard can play the backup point guard, but does it affect the rotation? I would assume not. I just assume Nimard probably just goes out a little bit earlier and comes back and runs a second unit. But, um, yeah, so I, the, the the Blazers game, obviously, I think the, that was a fun game to look at, I know. Uh, I had family in town while I was watching. I went back and watched it on Saturday. It was a really fun game. 
thought there were some really nice moments there, like I said, from Isaiah Jackson and Benedict Matherin off the bench. But even Tyrese had a good game, but he had some nice moments. I mean, that was a really great team win, and it was another bounce-back win after a loss, Fachi. So I think right now we can just feel pretty good about this Pacers team moving forward, five games above five hundred, one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. And our boy, Reggie Miller, on TNT, coming to the defense of Tyrese Halliburton and throwing shade at Wally Zerbiak in the middle of that Clippers-Nuggets blowout was just the icing on the cake for what what Halliburton needed to feel like he finally is an Indiana Pacer. Uh, We needed that because I love when Reggie speaks on us. Sometimes I feel like he doesn't do it enough, but at the same point, he doesn't. He doesn't. Look, I'm not trying to throw shade at Reggie. I love when he has our back because, come on, man, 18 years. I mean, Mr. Loyalty himself, give us the shout-out when others won't. And I was really happy that he did that for for Tyrese Halliburton because – Halliburton is every bit of an all-star. And one stat that I found on Halliburton is he is actually the only player in the top 10 as it relates to he's number one in assists, fourth in steals, and ninth in threes. Yes, it's a weird combination of it, but it just shows that he's more than just a really good passer. He's improved. He still has ways to go defensively, but he has improved defensively. As a three-point shooter, he he's, he's very good. He is, and I, I still think that this is a guy who's shooting over 40% on the year. Uh, I still think he can continuously get better at that. And as a scorer, he ain't no slouch. He's given you, you know, about 20 points per game. So, I mean, there, there's so much to like that this guy has to be in – he has to be an all-star. Yeah, Probably he won't be an all-star starter. <laughs> has to be an all-star. Yeah, seeing some of the voting returns, which we really that, didn't get into. I mean, it's just like Derek, Derek Rose is like it's around the right. tails. I mean, honestly, like if a guy hasn't played a certain amount of minutes, I think they shouldn't even be qualified to make the vote. Sorry, but no, that's not right. You know, I mean, when I get it, New York, California, they're going to have bigger markets that are going to have more voting for their team. So it is what it is, but I will say this. They should almost, I'm not trying to get political here, but they should almost do like an electoral vote for some of this stuff based on like percentage of fan votes. Like, cause it's so silly. Like I don't want to see a bunch of Nick guys get into the, I mean, Austin All-Star Reeves game. is in the top yeah. ten voting. It's like, what are, what are we doing here? The, the whole Warriors, player, you know, the whole but... Warriors like like lineup was in there. I mean, Kevon Looney, good player, but we're talking All Star now, starter. I mean, what are we yeah. doing over here? Derek Rose, like you mentioned before. I mean, that's the name that stood out. Of like, come on, there was a large patch where Rose was uh, did not play. Coach's decision, he was out of lo- the rotation. <laughs> So it, it's just we can't do that. A couple of years ago, Zaza almost oh, was a starter in, in the All-Star game before finally someone else got enough votes to replace him. But that system's a bit broken. So I, I think let's transition the Tyrese Halliburton starter in the All-Star game to Tyrese Halliburton, the All-Star, because that is still very impressive. Super impressive. And, you know, one last thing I'm going to transition here just a little bit from Tyrese. It's about McConnell, and I forgot to bring it up earlier. I was listening to uh, Fred Van Vliet on J.J. Reddick's podcast. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to that one or not, but did not. they brought up uh, T.J. McConnell as uh, another guy that reminds him of Jose Alvarado. So they brought those two guys up because they were just Fred was talking about guys he likes in the league. And, you know, they brought up T.J. McConnell, and J.J.'s like, yeah, I played two years with them. He's like, if I were coaching basketball today, I would want a T.J. McConnell on my roster probably too. And I just started smiling because it's just like, we look at stats and we look at how he plays stylistically versus the rest of the guys. And you're thinking this guy doesn't fit, but then you got 
two guys that I really respect their basketball knowledge, Fred Van Vliet, especially JJ Redick, and just saying like them wanting to have two Tyrese Halliburton or Tyrese, two TJ McConnell's on their team. It makes you like realize that TJ McConnell is more important than what a bat, a box score shows you. And I just thought it was great that they said it. And he said, you know, TJ McConnell just said, screw the shooting. I'm just going to do what I do. And that's kind of what he does. He plays his game and he fits in wherever he goes. But I think for those that want to kind of throw him under the bus a little bit and, and be a little bit disappointed with how he's gone about maybe fitting in perfectly this year, he's played better over late, shooting over 60% the last like five or six games before tonight. So just give him some time. He's getting acclimated. He's playing less minutes. He's playing behind a great point guard in Halliburton. I just think, well, he might have been the long-term answer. He's not as bad as everybody's making him out to be. And I just thought it was cool that two you know, guys that played with him have that much respect for him, especially since he's a backup point guard. I've never heard a teammate say a bad thing about him. And if you typed in TJ McConnell on Twitter right now, you're going to see a lot of slander. I wanted to see about, you know, for the update, uh, hey, is there anything in terms of maybe if there's a timeline for the shoulder injury? And there was there was definitely a lot of McConnell slander. Is he perfect? Absolutely not. Does he bring a lot of good stuff to the overall team, the culture? Absolutely. Because, I mean, McConnell is teaching the youngings. He's always bringing a positive mindset. We've talked about it. He's a coach's son. You see the game differently. He's an extension of, you know, Carlisle. He's, he's almost like an assistant coach on the floor. And this young Pacers team, they need those type of guys. Look, James Johnson might be the veteran leader who necessarily doesn't play. T.J. McConnell is the veteran leader that is playing. That, that's helping him on the court directly. So, uh, look, do you need him to have a massive role? No, you don't. Is he the same guy from a couple of years ago? No, not really. He's playing a reduced role, but he still does bring a lot of good stuff to the table. And let's be honest, everyone. It's not like he's making 15 to $20 million per year holding the Pacers back. I mean, he's at roughly $7 million per year, which... You know, I, I wouldn't even know where that ranks in the NBA, but it ain't high up there. I'll tell you that. There's a lot of guys making a lot more, contributing a lot less. Yeah, totally agree there, Fachi. So let's just go ahead and wrap it up here. We probably went longer than we anticipated. So tell the people where they can find us out on social media. First, I want to say this, Alex, and I was a little bit worried to tell you this, but the Pacers play the Knicks on Wednesday, and I'm going to be in the building. Oh, All right. no. I'm going to be in the building. And I know you're thinking about, is there a Fachi curse or anything? Look, the last couple Pacer games I've attended, the outcome has not worked in our favor. But I feel like it ends on Wednesday. And I know we're going to be on the road, but I'm going to be there. And I'm going to be giving it everything I got. And I'm going to contribute my 1%. And I think we're walking out with that W in Madison Square Garden. I'm telling you right now. Oh, good grief. Just tell the people where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. You can find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Go to YouTube.com slash SettingThePace, the Pacers podcast, where you can check out all of our content. Wanted to give you guys a quick little update. I got a new camera over the holidays, and I showed it to Fachi. Much better picture for good. 
my side of things. So hopefully we'll be getting more video content up. I want to thank everybody so much that has recently subscribed and really enjoyed our top 10 Pacers trade targets video on there. So that video has done pretty well. And I want to thank you all for listening to that. But if you haven't already subscribe to that and just let us know what you think. We've also gotten a couple more really nice, positive reviews back um, on Apple podcasts. I know somebody complained about the way we say Duarte. So if you'd like to correct me on that, please just let me know how to say it. But um, with that being said, I really appreciate that. And if you want to leave us a five-star rating review on Apple podcasts, that'd be awesome as well. But Fachi, if you're excited that the Indiana Pacers are on a hot winning streak at home with six in a row, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.